I'm Carrie Fountain, and this is Just to Say, where we talk to poets about the poems they make and the poems they love. Poetry's about anarchy, it's about mystery, it's about dreams, it's about, you know, the unknown. I made myself anew in poetry. The poem invites the world to come celebrate. My name is Kava Akbar, and this is my poem, Being in this world makes me feel like a time traveler. Visiting a past self. Being anywhere makes me thirsty. When I wake, I ask God to slide into my head quickly before I do. As a boy, I spit a peach pit onto my father's prayer rug, and immediately it turned into a locust. Its charge devour the vast fields of my ignorance. The Prophet Muhammad described a full stomach as containing one-third food, one-third liquid, and one-third air. For years, I kept a two-fists-long beard and opened my mouth only to push air out. One day, I stopped in a lobby for cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, and ever since, the life of this world has seemed still. Every night, the moon unpeels itself without affectation. It's exhausting remaining humble amidst the vicissitudes of fortune. It's difficult to be anything at all with the whole world right here for the having. That was such a great reading of the poem. It's just such a beautiful you, poem, too. This is the kind of poem that I feel like each time I enter into it, I don't know how I will exit it you know like how I feel <laughs> on the other end of it yeah yeah that's amazing that I think that it maybe is that for me a little bit too actually weirdly and not all of my poems are like that but I think that this poem in particular it turns quickly variously throughout but it kind of has this through line in hearing your voice with as a boy I spit a peach pit onto my father's prayer rug and immediately it turned into a locust it seems to in some way recall the child's imagination of like what will happen if almost like yeah, a, you know yeah. you're sort of you know I remember sort of as a child thinking like oh I could think something really awful about God and then I would probably just like be struck down by lightning <laughs> yeah. or something you know yeah like, oh absolutely yeah I, that really well, resonated it, with me mm -hmm. yeah and there's also for me I remember as a child the idea of God and the idea of Father were so conflated. There's a Kazamali poem where he writes, uh, it's called Thicket, and he writes, it is the Father who believes in God, the Son believes in the Father. And I think that that was so true for me, you know, I mean, it was my father who taught me to pray in Arabic, and it was my father who taught me to move through the gesticulations that accompanied the prayer. And so all of my ideas of God and the divine were wrapped up in my father, who was also this sort of all-powerful, gigantic entity who dominated my consciousness. And so that moment and other moments in the book, I think, are really interested in that kind of conflation, too. Yes. It's charge devour the vast fields of my ignorance. Mm -hmm. Very surprising ending to that sentence. I think that this is a poem in a book full of poems that kind of just wants to put the whole world in its mouth is sort of deeply interested in the ramifications of that 
desire um, because it's it feels all-encompassing. For years, I kept a two-fists-long beard and opened my mouth only to push air out. That mm-hmm. sort of discipline, right? Or there's mm-hmm. so something there's something like about spiritual discipline there, especially mm-hmm. what in what precedes it about the Prophet Muhammad. And mm-hmm. uh, then the next sentence is like, one day I stopped in a lobby for cocktails and hors d'oeuvres, and ever since the this the life of this world has seemed still. Like there's mm-hmm. so, it, it, it's it's like these like little um, th- these little experiences in life that it's like this seemingly innocuous. You know, oh, cocktails and hors d'oeuvres in the lobby of a hotel. But that, like, <laughs> you sort of, there's like a danger into entering into that. It's like yeah. you leave behind a certain purity or something, like a spiritual yeah. purity or a, a, a purity of practice. Um, mm. And that also seems to, yeah, I mean, it seems to so to me reenact the experience of like I'm always really interested I have to say this while I was thinking about this because I'm also interviewing Marie Howe today (laughs) that's so cool (laughs) yeah and she you know Marie is like comes from like you know very strict Catholic background right yeah yeah my my partner and I just this morning we're talking about her Magdalene actually like literally just this morning because my partner is giving it as a gift to a friend we were just sort of fawning over it yeah it's an amazing collection but I'm just Mm -hmm. like I'm really deeply interested I think in poets who have come from a sort of very particular I think also just people who've come from mm-hmm. a very particular religious background and mm-hmm. and then are like now adults kind of you know trying to figure out their spiritual compass in the world yeah. aside from yeah. like you know I, I married a, I married um, a man my husband who is also a writer who uh, was like raised strict Southern Baptist and like mm-hmm. had like honestly had under his bed kept his like favorite clothing under his bed because if the rapture happened and Jesus like <laughs> tapped 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 on his window mm-hmm. he wanted to have his like favorite clothes for the rapture sure, like, naturally yeah. you know so I'm just really drawn to the idea of like and then you know to see him now and to um, see him kind of figuring out his his religious or his spiritual path in the world you know aside from like you know you know there's this was a sort of dramatic casting aside of these beliefs and then you know what is left and what do you Mm. take and what do you leave behind from your experiences as a child in in religion i'm just really um i'm i'm fascinated by that and it seems like your work is kind of your work seems to me as a reader as doing that a lot yeah oh Mm -hmm. i mean i'm endlessly fascinated by that i mean and and the cool thing about this particular fascination is that uh it's a well you can always draw from right you're never gonna get a definitive answer you know you're never gonna get the answer that says oh i guess i guess uh i guess this is the correct way to think about god or this is the this is the um, correct way to process doubt or, you know, I mean, there's, there's never going to be any sort of certainty in it, which I think is very, very, um, true to the spirit of poetry too. Right. I mean, if you begin a poem in a place of certainty, it has nowhere to go, right. It's a closed loop. There's no synapse for the charge to fire across and illuminate. Right. Um, uh, you need, um, you need to begin a poem, uh, in a place of uncertainty, which is what faith affords us, right? I mean, there's no, there's no certainty. And I mean, a certain faith is 
dead faith, right? Uh, unchallenged faith is dead faith. It's just, it's just, you know, parroting or it's just, uh, it's just, um, uh, you know, it's just habit. Um, habituation sort of kills us to the sense of things. You know, we, we, I'm really obsessed with the Russian Victor, uh, the Russian defamiliarist Victor Shlovsky, you know, he's the man who gave us, you know, the famous credo, make the stone stony. Right. Uh, and I think that, I think that this discovery of faith and this endless sort of reprocessing of it, um, and, uh, turning it around in my hands as a, as a way of constantly defamiliarizing everything, you know, um, not just the cosmological self, but the, the physical self, the psychological self, the social self, um, the political self, um, uh, this sort of, this sort of fascination is horizontal, right? You always march towards it and you never arrive. Um, and, and you just sort of, you just sort of bliss in the march. That's beautiful. I love that make the stone stonier is like the Russian answer to no ideas, but in things. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, totally, totally. Well, I mean, it's like, it's like in a world in which you see thousands of stones every day or you know you see uh thousands of trees every day i read recently that uh our children will uh see more digital trees than real ones in their lifetimes Mm. which is kind of a wild thing to trip out on for Mm. a while um but you know i mean in a world where you see you know however many thousands of trees every day how do you how do you really apprehend the treeiness of a tree Mm -hmm. you know how do you how do you capture in your art the absolute magic of the fact that every tree you've ever seen got all of its matter from converting light from a star 93 million miles away into glucose you know and that yeah. that so i mean i mean you can you can show me all the this is very sort of like whitman's learned astronomer but uh you can show me all the proofs and figures and tables and the chemical reactions that are responsible for photosynthesis and i will just tell you that you're naming magic you know what i mean like you're you're taxonomizing what is absolutely magic you know there is a star 93 million miles away in all uh, biological matter on the planet comes from that, you know what I mean? Comes from, from, from this process where we can turn, uh, that light into sugar. Sorry, I don't know why I'm on this tangent, but you know, this is, this is the sort of like endless mystery to me, you know? And so how do you, how do you get that mystery into a poem? How do you defamiliarize, uh, the fact of our being anything, you know? Um, and I think, you know, the answer is what we're always sort of trying to figure out, but it has something to do with maintaining connected to just the sort of like overwhelming bewilderment at that, you know, at, at the fact that anything is anything. Yeah. <laughs> like I was, I'm, I was like, so there with you for the, the whole, yes, I was on that ride with you. It's like, and that's also like, that's what all poetry is. That's what all religion is as well. Right. Yeah, it's just like, yeah, what absolutely. the F is going on, you know, <laughs> yeah, like who, yeah. what are we, what are we? Let's yeah. answer that as well as who are we? I think that the, the title and the first that, which goes into the first, uh, or finishes the first sentence of the poem being in this world makes me feel like a time traveler 
visiting a past self, you know? Mm -hmm. And I love that, um, it, like, if there was ever a poem that started in uncertainty, it's that. <laughs> it's like, yeah. it, like, deranges the reader upon entering the poem, and I love that. Mm. And I love just yeah. being... I like that idea of deranging the yeah. reader upon entering mm. the poem. It sort of primes the reader for the kinds of uh the kinds of things that will be asked of them mm. um did you just get out of the car no i was actually taking my jacket off my car is getting hot oh, but i didn't sorry. want to lower the windows because i'm right by a highway and oh. it will be very noisy oh my gosh do not like swelter in the car that would be oh, I'm okay I'm if... a, i mean it's like it's like a midwestern it's like a cold midwestern <laughs> okay. spring day it's, it's i don't want to be responsible fine. for like you know having suffocated no, if I <laughs> yeah, if I start if I start getting lightheaded, Panting. I'll roll. Yeah. I'll crack a window. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm really interested in, especially asking you this question because you you are obviously such a um, a passionate reader and advocate for the reading of poetry. It's like hmm. that is something I think that is so you just like have have stepped into a space in um, uh, in 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 the world of poetry that was that is uh, so important so I was hmm. wondering how you personally came to poetry yeah yeah um well, you know, it depends on it depends on exactly what you mean, you know, when you say came to poetry. I mean, if you if you just mean like writing poems, you know, my mom has poems that I was that I wrote when I was four and five years old, you know, um, and I've and a pretty steady stream of them from that point through my sort of adolescence, you know, uh, I've kind of always been writing poems. Um, I think that you know I reference the process of. Uh, learning to pray with my father, right? My father teaching me to pray in Arabic. Uh, we spoke Farsi and English, so Arabic was a language that nobody in my family actually spoke, right? Um, but we still prayed in it, you know, as as one does. And so every day I would say this, like, beautiful, charged string of language that I didn't understand right but I understood that it was beautiful and I understood that if I spoke it earnestly enough uh that it would thin the membrane between me and the divine right it would it would somehow uh make make the divine more accessible to me or create this channel of communication between me and the divine right um and I and I think that that really was the bedrock for my understanding of what mellifluous charge language can do right and it, it it's and it's still the way that i think about my poetry right like i don't need to have a complete one-to-one -one denotative uh understanding of oh the moth in this poem is my mother and the, you know what i mean like this is not an interesting way for me to read or write poetry you know i just need to arrange language and sound um, in a way that feels truly earnest and mellifluous um, and delightful and true. Um, and I think that if I 
am able to achieve these things, it really does still for me thin the membrane between me and whichever divine I am addressing, whether that be, um, you know, a cosmological divine or a uh, romantic divine or a psychological divine, which could be, you know, grief or loneliness or loss. I mean, these things are divine too. Um, uh, uh, this This is sort of the bedrock upon which my current poet self was built i mean you know i i i had you know the a traditional sort of uh i had like a high school english teacher who sent me home with a stack of poetry books one day and this sort of opened me up to like literary contemporary literary poetry right um but i think that if you're asking like like the true question of like what led me to poetry or like what what primed me for poetry or what opened me to poetry i think this is this is really how i would answer it i love that you yeah you sort of take it back to like not just like this is my experience but this was where the impulse was born you know yeah 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 and it's i was thinking of like you know what well how i would answer that question that i just asked (laughs) or if i was to answer it in the same way you just answered and i think like you know in some ways it's i was i was raised in a bar you know my father Hmm. owns a bar and uh Mm -hmm. so i was raised among i mean you know it's just a sort of strange place to grow up but there's like a lot of like value placed on like talk there you know like in some ways it's a place mm-hmm. where you go to talk and yeah, absolutely. you know like my father is like a kind of a connoisseur of jokes and you know hmm. so the jokes have always been really important in our family and i just think oh mm-hmm. yeah like there's so much about the poem that to me is similar to the joke and just the voice you know like the impulse yeah, to absolutely. speak and connect and it's like almost a hundred percent opposite of what you just said but it's like also exactly (laughs) the same you know it's like no yeah yeah well i mean you're still trying to communicate you know and you're still trying to communicate with uh with a beloved you Mm. know whether it be the stranger next to you at the bar with whether it be you know you're still trying to you're still trying to relay your unprecedented experience Mm -hmm. um and it's interesting too i used to i mean obviously i'm someone who has spent a lot of time in bars and uh, too. And, uh, I used to think about like the, mo- it used to help me rationalize the money that I was spending at the bar to think about it as just like renting space at the bar. You know what I mean? Instead of like, instead of like thinking about what I was like spending on drinks, right. I would think about it as just sort of like renting space so that, you know, that was, that was sort of like a social, it would be like going to six flags or something like that. You know what I mean? Uh, it would almost be like, I, it helped me, you know, it helped my eyes not pop out whenever I saw the bar tab at the end of the night, you know, to think like, well, I'm paying for this experience, you know. It's amazing what our minds can do for, you know, <laughs> yeah, for yeah, and yeah. against us, you know, the ways that oh, we can think about yeah, things yeah. and go like, oh, yeah. but yeah, that, I mean, that totally yeah. makes, that does totally yeah. make a lot of no, sense. No, I mean, if there were, if there were an Olympic decathlon for rationalizing my vices, I would be, mm-hmm. I would just be strewn with gold medals. Yeah. Um, so I I also thought it would be uh, a great question to ask you just because you are so much like you're so known for you for being a poetry lover you know you're you really are I mean I think that a lot of people uh, know you as such and when hmm. you know when I when I was you know learning about poetry and in, in as a younger poet I, I felt like 
there was there was not that kind of young person in the world who was like totally taking poetry out of academia and just mm-hmm. going like you can just eat this poem you know what i mean or like <laughs> this poem might save your life yeah. i don't know if it will or not but you know like that just is like yeah. the, just about like the wonderful experience of poetry in that way and so i yeah. thought i would ask you you know a lot of times writers and poets get asked the question like what advice would you give to a beginning poet like somebody who's like <laughs> starting out writing i wonder sure. if you could give like what would you what kind of advice would you give to a beginning reader of poetry, a reader mm. of poetry, someone who sort of is coming to it with that typical um, hesitancy, perhaps, or just hesitancy based on not knowing or feeling like, oh, what if I don't understand that the moth in this poem is his mother or and everyone else in the <laughs> class does, yeah. you know, like that kind yeah, of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, what would you say? How would you um, answer that question? Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful, that's a beautiful question. And I'm always really kind of leery, um, both in my teaching life and in, in my sort of public poet life of trying to sound prescriptive about anything, you know, because I, I, I have figured out more or less what works for me. But, you know, I, I think that the sort of majesty of poetry is that it's really just anything, you know, Mary Leader's definition of a poem was a thing, you know? Um, and I think that to accept any narrower definition would sort of needlessly exclude, uh, a lot of, a lot of different kinds of poetry. Um, and so, uh, and so, I mean, the, the sort of, the only sort of like really truly empirical advice that I could offer, um, would just be to read widely. You know, I think that a lot of, a lot of new poets, uh, sort of latch on to a voice and read them really deeply. Um, and I think that that's great and that's valuable. And, you know, I think reading deeply is important too, but just reading widely so that you can sort of get a sense of the breadth of poetry and all the things a poem can be. Um, uh, you know, there's not, there's not, a person on earth who I, who hasn't had, you know, a great number of poems written specifically for them, you know what I mean? Um, and specifically to or about or through or around their experiences, you know, um, uh, because there's so much poetry out there, you know, there's, we're, we're in this sort of blessed moment where there is both a ton of poetry being written and a ton of access to that poetry. So, um, I would say that just reading widely um, uh, would be the greatest way to serve one sort of burgeoning interest in the poem. And, you know, certainly to certainly to read in a way that is kind to yourself, you know what I mean? So, you know, if you don't, you know, completely apprehend every illusion in the wasteland, uh, you know, the first time you're reading it, well, you know, I mean... I don't understand a word of Ave Maria, uh, but I'll still weep when I hear it, you know, or, you know, when I hear Paul Salon read Todesfuge in German, you know, I'll still, I'll still get chills, you know, even though I don't, I don't speak German, you know what I mean? Um, uh, and so I think that being kind to yourself in that way, uh, and just understanding that sounds can move us, cadences can move us, rhythms can move us. Um, uh, and, and I think that there is a way in which people sometimes 
hold poetry to a different standard uh, than they hold, you know, music or uh, or visual art, right? Um, I, I think that people are a lot less burdened by this uh, by this idea of uh, mastering a narrative or mastering some sort of denotative relationship to the work um, in those forms. Uh, but for some reason in poetry, I think that um, a lot of new readers often become really, really sort of stymied by by trying to pull apart these relationships that may or may not even exist in the text, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's that comparison of the experience of, like, letting yourself have an experience of poetry like you have an experience of music where you just kind of mm -hmm. let it let the experience happen to you rather than sort of feeling like there's going to be a quiz at the end of this poem and I mean I swear <laughs> yeah, to God yeah, I still yeah. feel like that sometimes I still feel like that sometimes <laughs> and I've been you know I've been doing yeah. this for a long time I still sometimes sure, I mean sure, Rebecca sure. was just in here and I was like I don't know I, I I've only like I've like read your book a million times I was I don't think I'm prepared to talk to him <laughs> you know like there's still this just sort of like yeah. that there's going to be like a oh like a moment where someone's just going to say oh you're you're you didn't get it did you you didn't get it you know there was a way to take it and you didn't get it so just yeah, like, yeah. opening that like opening that up and just saying like no you can have this you can have this yeah. yourself and it can be what you know it can be what it is for you yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I, you know, I just, I just took my um, PhD prelim exams, which was like sort of this long process of three days uh, without any Wi-Fi or reference material. I had to write like forty pages of just, you know, critical stuff about poems uh, without any sort of reference material. You know, so I'm like very much recovering from this, uh, this instance of like having to really, really kind of have hard assessments and things to say about poems, you know, but even there, I was still able to kind of be myself. But, you know, I, I, this to say, you know, I very much relate, you know, with the, with the sort of anxiety of like, oh, maybe I just have no idea what I'm talking about, you know? Yeah. And that somebody else does. <laughs> yeah. Maybe yeah. yeah. There's like does. one person with the like objectively true, uh, answer to yeah. know, whatever, you know. And they're on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. Tell you all yeah, the things yeah, that yeah, you've yeah said wrong yeah they're like actually the locust in kava's poem was <laughs> right yeah the well the well actually yeah the yeah yeah, yeah, poem yeah, explainer. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, gosh there's like a special circle of hell <laughs> um okay so i also asked you if you would bring in a poem or bring a poem to the show that yeah you would like to share yeah with the world. i thought like yeah as a poet, this did is do always that. just like something that i love i mean like there's yeah. nothing greater this is all that this is what this show is for me i get to like totally say this is i love this poem and i hope you do too so what is a poem that you would like share what what did you bring yeah yeah well i so i just my book just came out in the UK and I did I went over there to do some readings and you know it was it was a good excuse to get to go to the UK and meet some UK poets that I've loved for a long time and and while I was there I met I got to meet this poet Carolyn Bird um, we were doing a little uh, special for the BBC and uh, I heard her read this poem when we were recording 
And I've just been thinking, like, I've thought about it every single day since then. I, I just, I think it's such a masterful, gorgeous, searching, fearless poem. Um, and uh, it's from her book, In These Days of Prohibition. Her name is Carolyn Bird. And the poem is called Stephanie. She was 18, used party as a verb, lashes like the whiskers of an oil-soaked seal, devoured books with names like steamy L.A. nights under the duvet by flashlight. I was 23, brooding over John Ashbery between therapy sessions, hunched at the smoker's table like a misunderstood genius. I was recovering from a bout of goodbye world, we were both diligent pleasers. I fell in love with the reflection of someone charming in her sunglasses. I always wanted to be charming. I forgot we were ill. When I finally touched her, her skin dilated. She shuddered, licked her teeth, and crawled towards me across the bed. It was like watching a child possessed by the vengeful spirit of a murdered porn star. I locked myself in the bathroom and then strode to the nurse's station to confess. Afterwards, my counselor said, we really dropped the ball on this one, placing a sex addict in a room with a lesbian. It had never occurred to them. She wrote me a ten-page love letter in red ink. The nurses tried to lull my guilt. If an alcoholic screams for whiskey, it's not the bartender's fault if he pours. I didn't like being compared to booze like I could have been anyone. That acne-scarred chef who grinned at her once. The mouthy car washer at the N.A. meeting. The pin-eyed new boy. Like it was just because I was her roomie and she was a nympho. And nothing to do with real electricity or Stephanie somehow spying the part worth saving in me. Oh, man. <laughs> That's an amazing yeah. poem. Can you say the title of the book again? Just because I want to write yeah. it down. Yeah, of course. The book is called In These Days of Prohibition. Wow. Yeah, it's an incredible poem. It really is. She's like a I mean the whole the whole collection is incredible. Uh it's she's like a master of simile too. It's just like funny. Yeah, you know? I know, I know, I know. I mean, wait till you read the whole book. Yes. Okay. Um take care and uh safe driving and congratulations yep. on your PhD. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Take I appreciate care. it. I'll talk to you soon, Carrie. Okay, bye. Bye. You can find Kaveh Akbar's poem, Being in This World Makes Me Feel Like a Time Traveler, in his collection, Calling a Wolf a Wolf, out from Alice James Books. This Is Just to Say is produced at KUT Radio in Austin, Texas. I'm Carrie Fountain. Thank you for listening. <laughs>